We've been in a series called The Kingdom of God, and I think last week's emphasis was particularly on this phrase, the kingdom of God has a priority, and that priority is Jesus. The kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, you are not the priority. Jesus is the priority. (laughs) And it's difficult to say that to people, to humans, because we are so self-centered. We are so about ourselves and about our own little existence. And we want everything to center around us. And we want everything to be about us and to make sure we're okay. And that is reality. And I understand that I have that too. I want things to be well with me. I want things to be well with you too. (laughs) It's just that the way to get there isn't through you. (laughs) It is through Jesus. And if you do not put him in the center of your life, then you're going to be at odds with the very kingdom that you're a part of. So, So I often see Christians trying to live the Christian lifestyle, but doing it my way. And, um, and it just doesn't work. And then uh, they get disillusioned with Christianity, get disillusioned with the Bible, get disillusioned with God. Not knowing that if they'd have just placed Jesus in the center of their lives, then the rest would have fallen in place. And the kingdom of God would have led them and guided them, would have been able to govern their lives. And when the kingdom of God governs your life, it brings order. It brings God's product. See, His process brings His product. But sometimes we want His product, but we're not willing to follow His process. We want it done our way. And that's the problem with, um, with much of you know, society these days is that um, tell them it's not about Him, and they you know, all butt up and leave the building. Um, and, and, but, but yet, that's the way to life. And I would be amiss to not tell you that. Jesus calls us to bow our knee to him. He's not in any form, shape, or way going to bow his knee to you. <laughs> it just, he's not. And we'll see today how that is applicable to what we're going to talk about because we, we're going to talk about um, voting <laughs> today. Oh my God. <laughs> it's going to get interesting, you know. Um, we're angels fear to tread. Yeah, that's what we're going today. And so sometimes, you know, I know that's a difficult topic to discuss, especially in a place where, you know, people have been taught that church should stay out of politics. Um, but guess what? We are where we are because the church left politics. We need God and His kingdom to influence politics. To produce his product in society. Without Jesus, you don't get his product. No matter how nice and cool you think you are as a human institution. No matter how many of God's ideas you still incorporate in your policy to try and produce a good product, you'll still come up short. Because his presence is what drives compliance to his will. If you have a relationship with him, you want to do as he desires. If you don't, you do not. And that's where it becomes sticky because sometimes there are agencies who would want to use God's ideas, but they're really using it for their own gain. They're not using it for the kingdom's gain. And, um, and it, it actually doesn't work that way. It, it creates a pseudo following of God that does not lead to life. In fact, it actually just leads to conflict. It leads to, uh, it leads to disillusionment because it doesn't work. And whenever you make promises that doesn't happen, 
A hope deferred makes the heart sick, the Bible says. And so what you find is you did, after all, need God. (laughs) You couldn't just use his ideas. But ideas are important because ideas do have consequences. They do have consequences. And if you're going to use man's ideas, you're going to have man's product. You're going to have the consequences of man's ideas or the outcomes of man's ideas. But if you use God's product, it's a preserving, if you use his ideas, it becomes a preserving force in society. Wherever men have followed God's ideas, good have come from it. Where they rebel against it, bad has come of it. Not because God judged them, but because there's a natural consequence to not following his way. This is a sowing and reaping universe. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. That's what the Bible says. And it's, it's not even speaking about finances. It just talks about life. Whatever you sow, you will reap. And so if you, if you sow destructive ideas, you're going to reap those ideas, consequences, the outcomes of it. And so it's important for us to realize that the kingdom has a particular way of doing life. And as Christians, we are called to align to it, not called to... We're supposed to be saying, Lord, let your kingdom come, not let my kingdom come. We're saying, Lord, here I am to serve you, not Lord, here's what I would like you to do. Come on now. But so much of our prayers are just about me and my needs and my, and my existence not about worshiping the King of Kings and submitting and bowing and saying, Lord, what needs to change in me so that I will please you? What needs to change in me so that I will honor you? How do my decisions and everything that I do serve your purposes and serve your agenda? So let's get into this. We're going to talk about kingdom government today because, the, because God has a lot to say about Government. He has a lot to say about how we conduct ourselves as humans in government. And um, it might step on some toes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, disclaimer, I'm not from your country. I know that. Okay, But I did vote when I was in my own. I know how it works. We also have a democratic system back home. And I know that you, you know, voting is a responsible thing to do. And uh, um, I cannot vote here because I'm not a citizen. Okay, so don't ask me if I voted. I didn't. Not because I don't believe in it. I'm not allowed to. All right. My visa restricts me from doing it. Um, If I and when I think and I believe we will become citizens of this nation, I will be voting. Believe me, I will for sure. Um, But what I want to do and try to do today is, is, is help. Help with a couple of things. One is how we conduct ourselves, how we think about ourselves as Christians within a political environment. Second, how do I conduct myself leading up to the election? How do I let God's thoughts influence me? And then how do I act after the election? Because that's a, that's a big thing. A lot of people are placing a lot of hope on this election. And, um, and, 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 Whatever happens after, we need to be able to still see the kingdom of God and live according to it. So all I'm asking is in the next couple of minutes that you really allow God's Holy Spirit to speak to you about how do you perceive your life and are you in alignment with his kingdom or are you still trying to bend him to follow your your way? Let's start by reading um, from scripture. And don't worry, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. Okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm not even going to tell you who I would have voted for. Uh, I won't try and influence it either way. What I'm going to try and do is present a kingdom perspective of what we are to do as Christians about our testimony, about our life. See, there is a great danger that um, the church becomes divided in, t- in, in, these, in political times. And so everybody's trying to, and during this time, there's so many things that are pulling for our attention, you know, uh, pulling for our, uh, our allegiance. I want you to side with me on this. I want you to side with me on this. How do we as Christians live in a world that's divided without allowing division to come into our own hearts? And that's a really important thing because it hurts our testimony as the church if we just co-tail along with every narrative that we hear out there in society. God did not call us to just follow. He called us to lead in society. And so, and so for if, how do we do that? There are things that we do that can disqualify us from doing that. What I'm going to present today helps us to not be disqualified, helps us to actually present Him and lead society. The saddest thing is when the body of Christ becomes divided over things like politics. And there is, I mean, Jesus prayed. One of His um, last desires was that the church would be one, that we would be united. Now, we do a bad job at it, but our, 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 um, our desire should never be to stop trying. Our desire should always be to, to, to pursue unity uh, with brothers and sisters. And so I'm not even going to talk about the world out there, okay? Because the fact of the matter is that there's going to be division. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. I came to bring division. <laughs> Now it's quiet. <laughs> but not between brothers, not between spiritual brothers and sisters, between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And when there is a siding, which there is in that end, there will be division. There will be differences of opinion. And we can't do anything about that until something spiritually changes to address that. There's going to be division. Out there, there's going to be differences of opinion that are irreconcilable because the differences are based on each person's experience and on their own opinion. And until there is an overarching objective view that can call both of us to repent to it and get together, there is absolutely no chance for unity to ever happen. But isn't that what we have in, the, in God? Isn't that exactly what we have in the kingdom of God? We have a king that does not side with anybody but says, side with me. You side with me. I'm the one calling the shots here. Only in Christ, therefore, do we have a slightest of chances to actually create unity. And that's why the church has to lead this conversation. Lead in this, in this time. To tell people that there is hope, that there is a way forward, that there is a place where we can come together, describe our differences, acknowledge, acknowledge one another, but still have love and, and, and a desire to work together to see His kingdom come, not our particular agendas pursued and fulfilled. And so how do we live like that? Well, we have to, we have to get a couple of principles in place in our hearts and a couple of things we want to discuss today. But let's first look at Jesus and a little bit of what, what He... Um, 
you know, what he did and, and, and who he had around him. Matthew 10, 1 to 4. Jesus gathered his 12 disciples and imparted to them authority to cast out demons and heal every sickness and every disease. Note here, Jesus gives authority to man. He gave authority to men. But think about this. He did not give them authority to make their own opinions and to do what they like. In other words, he didn't tell them, all right, here's a magic wand. Now go and, you know, turn people into frogs if you like. No, he gave them authority for specific reasons that were aligned with his kingdom's prerogative. Your authority is supposed to be submitted under Christ. Let me say this to you. You did not get authority as man to just do what you like. You got authority to perform what Jesus wants done. Jesus gave you a lot, but it is actually to so that his kingdom might come through you. So let's look at the next verse. It says, now these are the names of the first 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is nicknamed Peter, Andrew, his brother, and then Jacob and John, the sons of a guy called Zebedee. Next, there were Philip and Bartholomew, and then Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. Jacob, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, and Simon, the former member of a zealot party. And Judas, the locksmith, who eventually betrayed Jesus. Interesting company of people, would you agree? Right? So let's look at two individuals. Simon, not Simon Peter, not the guy that walked in water. No, this is Simon, the guy who was trying to lead an insurrection against the Roman government and overthrow government. And then Matthew, the tax collector. He was an employee of the government. Pro-government, anti-government. Same discipleship group. Chaos. <laughs> Jesus called individuals from both sides of the aisle, y'all, to follow him. Now, I sometimes imagine the discussions and the conversations that went down when, you know, Jesus would ask the disciples their opinion about things and how much their influence, how much their political influences, um, you know, uh, came through in their in their discourse with jesus and you actually see some of it because sometimes his disciples would ask him so jesus when are you going to overthrow the roman government when are you going to set up the kingdom of israel again right <laughs> that's what they were asking they were asking, where's the revolution starting <laughs> they were definitely not just fake people they were normal people that came from all walks of life and they had their opinions before they started following Jesus. They were passionately pursuing certain agendas and ideals. And yet Jesus still called them to follow him. Interesting, right? But Jesus did ask them and cont continuously taught them that there is a higher way of looking at the same things that you have been looking at, looking at. He constantly corrected them when they would ask things like that. Not by directly you know, saying, well, you're wrong, but calling them to a higher viewpoint, calling them to a higher understanding of what is currently happening. Jesus asked them to remove the filter of their political persuasions and to put on the filter of his kingdom. That was a filter that they had to look through life through faith. Faith that was based on the promises and the principles of God's word.
Have you done that? Have you taken your political preferences as a filter in front of your eyes away and just looked at life from God's kingdom perspective? Let's look at how Jesus interacted with you know, the idea of government and human rulerships, etc. First and foremost, Jesus acknowledged the government of man. Um, in fact, there is you know, scriptural precedent that says that governments are in place because God placed human government. He, he um, affirmed human government. I don't believe that necessarily means that God picks the particular candidate. I believe God picks, God made the government, um, the concept of human government. He initiated that and he instituted that. But I do believe that you can have bad and, and good um, people leading. Um, Jesus acknowledged the government of man. You see, he was born under a government that tried to kill him, remember? <laughs> you remember that? Jesus uh, did not, however, live his whole life with offense and bitterness toward that government that tried to kill him. And then later on, government received false accusations against Jesus, realized that he was innocent, yet still condemned him. And sent him off to be crucified in the most horrific kind of way, even though he had done nothing wrong. And they knew it. Yet Jesus carried no offense toward that government that even killed him. He acknowledged the, gov- he acknowledged the government and he even submitted himself unto it to the point of death. Think about that. Luke 20, verse 22 says, another scenario where Jesus, where Jesus showed that he was, not, um, he was not going to end human government. It says, Luke 20, verse 22 to 25 says, Now tell us, a couple of people try to catch Jesus out. What they tried to do was they tried to get Jesus to admit that he was anti-government, that he was an enemy of the state, so that the state would take care of Jesus, uh, which was in their eyes a problem. Um, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus, who saw through their trickery, said, show me, the Ro- show me the coin, the Roman coin, whose picture and title are stamped on it. Caesar's, they replied. And he said, well, then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And give to God what belongs to God. See, our problem is not that we, their problem is not that they didn't want to pay taxes. <laughs> no, their problem was they didn't want to give their hearts to God. And that's our problem. It's not that we, we actually, you know, <laughs> pull your toes in people because I'm, <laughs> I'm tap dancing today. We say a lot of things. But why do we say those things? Is it really because that or is it actually just because we, don't wanna, we just don't want to give our hearts to God? We don't want to submit to Him. We don't want to follow in His guidance and His leadership. I told the guys as we were preparing the sermon series, now I'm going to have to watch my tongue because, <laughs> because I'm, I'm not just preaching to you, I'm preaching to people in South Africa as well. And there's a lot that can be said, that can be misunderstood. But I really want to emphasize this point. Yes, you are going to vote for a particular candidate 
who represents a particular system of government that includes with it a frame of reference of through which it sees reality and policies to help govern according to those to that view but don't give your heart to any political persuasion give your heart to god we we'll talk about what that means let your first allegiance be to the kingdom of God and to his, seek first and foremost the kingdom of God and his way of life, his righteousness and relationship with God and let that inform everything else that you do. He who surrenders himself, as a C.S. Lewis, without reservation to the temporal claims of a nation or a party, is rendering to Caesar that which of all things most emphatically belongs to God. Your allegiance belongs to Jesus. First and foremost, your allegiance belongs to God. But sometimes I can clearly see some people's allegiances have been sold out. People sell their souls to the promise of X, Y, and Z. You fill in the blank. Whichever persuasion you're from. Don't sell your soul to the political party that you feel that you need to support. Because if you sell your soul to them, they will become your Lord. And everything they do will automatically be viewed by you as correct. You see what happens in, in especially a society like America that was found upon Judeo-Christian worldview. A lot of the Christian ideas is um, embedded in um, your constitution and your rights system and your, you know, your whole structure of government. Um, and, and, and the problem is when, when, when you have that, it's almost like you can grow, you can grow a little complacent and, and not be wake. Not everything your government decides and says is actually scriptural. So that means you have to stay awake. You have to make sure that your opinions are formed not by political rallies and by narratives that gets pushed on social media, but by scripture. I am. <laughs> and our energy needs to be poured more into the kingdom of God and into His righteousness than it is into political parties. Let me say this. Sometimes we say this of sports events, all right? It's politics time, so it's time to pick on politics, all right? If you're more vocal about the party you're voting for than you are about Jesus, your priorities are wrong. End of story. I'm not saying don't promote whatever your persuasion is. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying no, that your priorities are wrong if you're talking more about this guy or that guy than you're talking about Jesus. Neither one of these men that are standing for, for president right now is the hope and answer for America. Jesus Christ is the answer for America. And that needs to help you. That, that needs to own you. I belong to Christ. I don't belong to any political party. But I do have to interact in a normal world. And so y'all are going to have to go stand in line and, 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 you know, and, and make some crosses around, next to some things that you're going to need to decide. How do you think 
determines, how you think determines how and what you're going to say yes and what you're going to say no to. Who you're going to say yes and who you're going to say no to. Let that be determined by biblical perspective, not by popular narratives. Not even by political promises. Let, it, let yourself be governed by the Bible. So, how did Jesus respond to politics and to this this kind of environment well jesus said guess what i'm just gonna start my own kingdom because none of y'all have it together anyways so i am announcing my own kingdom my own government my own way and i do not need any of you to tell me what's right I need you to acknowledge that what I say is right. To the point that you accept what I say is the point that you're going to be able to govern your nation to life and to prosperity, to safety. So, a lot of people wanted to know the whole time, Jesus, are you Republican? Are you Democrat? Jesus says, no, I'm the king. And I dictate to both sides what is right and wrong. But guess what? Is Jesus is king and if he has ownership of truth, neither side of our sides currently has ownership of truth. That means that all sides are wrong. And all sides are right on some things. What do I do with that, Jay? <laughs> That's the tension that you have to allow yourself to get into. Because thinking that one side has, 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 has monopoly on truth, it's not true. <laughs> Jesus said, I have my own kingdom. So Joshua's leading the children of Israel out of the desert into the promised land. Been wandering around for 40 years. And uh, they're about to take in, um, you know, uh, after the, the battle of Jericho. Or about to take the battle of Jericho, and uh, Joshua sees this man. He was um, he was by Jericho. He lifted up his eyes, looked, and, and behold, a man was standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, "Remember, Joshua is the leader of the children of God." Hello. He goes to this guy. Says, "Are you for me or are you against me?" Because obviously his side's God's side, right? So this angel says to him, neither. I'm the boss. <laughs> I came to tell you what to do. But, but, but wait, I'm like, you know, we're, we're, we're the conservatives. You know, we're God's people, right? Hold up now. The commander came and said, I am the commander of the Lord's army. And I have now come. You see, he came because the promised land was never the children of God's plan. It was always God's plan. And God is about his business and involving you in it. It's not about man's business. 
Man has to align to it. So that's why this commander comes in. And Joshua's very great response. Joshua does exactly what he needs to do. Verse, uh, verse 14. Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord army replied, Take off the sandals of your feet because the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. My question to each and every one of us today, are you willing to fall to your face today and acknowledge that Jesus is king over America and acknowledge that his, you, his kingdom asks your allegiance? That's where he wants our hearts to be, first and foremost. From that guidance and that governance, you go out and you make an informed decision as to who is going to align with God's agenda most. And for this election, it might be that party. For that election, it might be that party. But do not be owned by anyone but God. You belong to Jesus. You belong to Christ. And when you have discourse, and when you do discuss things, Remember who it is that you're representing. Are you representing the elephant or are you representing the donkey? No, you're not. You're representing the lamb. And the way you speak about the donkey tells the donkey whether Jesus actually loves it. The way you speak to the elephant tells the elephant whether Jesus loves it. So you can't be owned by any one of those because they don't talk nice to each other. I don't know if you've noticed. But if you're the lamb, and for the lamb, and if you're from the lamb, and if you represent the lamb, you can recognize good and bad, no matter which side of the aisle it comes from. And you can speak truth to power. You can acknowledge wrong. You can praise what is good. And you can have um, healthy conversation. That leads us as a church, as body of Christ, brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus Christ, to walk together even though we have opinions that differ on different matters. You see, God did not come to take sides. He came to take over. So Jesus calls us as ambassadors of his kingdom. Right? That's what the whole Second Corinthians 5 is for. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has become. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. That needs to be our highest agenda. It's bringing people to Jesus. No matter what side of the aisle they come from. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sin against him. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. During this time, the church has an opportunity to lead for truth. But so often we find ourselves just adding to the conflict if you love football, you'll know that it's one of those games played with an egg-shaped ball. No, I'm just kidding. I know you know that. I'm just, I'm just. <laughs> there are two teams always that take the field, you know. 
It's the right team and it's the wrong team. The right team is always the saints. Amen? Not if you're that guy. He's, he's the enemy. <laughs> there's the home team. There's the visiting team. Typically, there'll be three hours of conflict. These two teams are at odds with, at odds with each other. And each job is to win at all costs. Try to outwit or just outlast the opponent. You need a score. And if you can make the other side look bad at the same time, man, that's just bragging rights, right? Sidestep the guy and he, kept, he falls over his own feet. Oh man, that's the best. Or he comes to tackle you and you just bump him off and you know, he goes head over heels for the wrong reason. Priceless. <laughs> it's conflict, y'all. It's war. There are two teams, but there's a third team. Have y'all noticed? It's a team of officials, right? There are nine. Nine of them. And you can easily recognize them. You don't have to wonder who are the officials. They wear black and white stripes. <laughs> if there's not an irony in that, I don't know where. They're on the field, but they're not of the field. They're in, they are in the midst of the conflict, but they're not allowed to become part of the conflict. No, they're actually committed to another governing system, another kingdom. This kingdom lives at 345 Park Avenue North in New York. Park Avenue in New York City. That's the NFL head office, by the way. And they're authorized to represent the king. I mean, the commissioner. Um, Roger Goodell. I was going to say Goodell, but it sounds too much like Google. Goodell. They're easily identified in a the crowd. They don't belong to either of the teams. Each of these nine officials have been given a book from the headquarters in New York. This book gives them governing guidelines by which all decisions are to be made on the field. They are required to study it, know it, be able to reference it at all times. Their personal opinions must be subject to the book. They will, they will not be a popularity contest. They're not a part of that. Sometimes they will be booed. Other times they'll be cheered. They're not there for the applause. They're there to bring order to the chaos. Life is chaotic. Political realms are chaotic. The only way that you can actually bring order is if you have sold your soul to a higher order that, can, that has the ability to see the wood for the trees. If you're walking in a maze, You can, you can walk into dead ends the whole time. But if you have a bird's eye view and somebody on the other line, they can tell you, go left here, go right here. And you can make it through that maze easy. That's what the kingdom of God wants to do for humanity. It wants us to navigate through these moments with ease. But we have to acknowledge the king. We have to ask him for his perspective. We have to pledge that we will obey and submit and align with him. And whatever he asks of us, we'll do. Whether it goes against our preference or not. 
Now, this team of people are grossly outnumbered. Think about it, 53 players, coaching staff, personnel, thousands of fans. The players have power, but the officials carry authority. A player can knock an official down. Sometimes it does happen. But an official can send a player off the, off the field. There's a difference. We are called to live from God's perspective. Call it kingdom independence if you want to put a political swing to it. I'm a kingdom independent. That means I don't belong to anybody. I will vote whatever supports the perspective and the kingdom of God the best. Whether I like the person or not. Because behind the person is a set of ideas that were formulated into policies that will create outcomes. Ideas have consequences. Individuals have some influence. But it's the ideas they espouse that we need to be careful about. And that's why that's why we need to make sure that we stay awake. Stay awake. There is such a thing as a Trojan horse. Be careful. You and I are God's officiating crew in a world of conflict. And if the church can manage to manage to navigate through these seasons with unity and with the ability to represent the Lamb, then we become a, a we become an arbitrator for progress. We can help people start seeing, oh my goodness. I needed that. We needed them. There's so much conflict in our worlds. And some of it we're not going to change because it's two kingdoms that are very opposing to each other. But we have to realize that the two kingdoms are not represented (laughs) necessarily in two parties. So we have to be careful. We have to be awake. America will not change socially if we don't change spiritually. We need Jesus. We don't need man. Jesus is our hope. Only the gospel of Jesus can change the hearts of men. Somebody said, make sure it's God's trumpet that you're blowing. If it's only yours, it won't wake the dead. It'll only disturb the neighbors. Let's blow Jesus' trumpet more during this time than ever before. Let's not act as people who never had hope until somebody arrived. Let's not act, act as people who feel that if something doesn't happen, there's no hope for America. Let's not act like that because Jesus is still on the throne. And it doesn't matter what the outcome of this election is. Jesus' kingdom is still here to affect his agenda and his change. And your and my efforts still need to be toward his plans and his purposes for our society. And it starts with your neighbor learning that Jesus loves him and wants to have a relationship with him. And that you're willing to walk that journey with them regardless of how they vote. Amen.
Come on. Let's be representatives of the Lamb. As we go out and we do put our mark next to our candidate that we believe espouse the kingdom's values the best. But let's not belong to any one of them. Let's belong to Jesus. And let's keep ourselves awake to see the truth of God as the way forward. And call all sides to acknowledge that and change towards God's highest ideal. Amen? Let me pray for you. Father, I Oh, I know it's so difficult, Lord, in these times because of the fear, because of the all the things that we hold dear that that we want to protect or we want to change and see happen, Lord. Things that we're so fed up with, Lord God, that we want to see change. And Lord, for all these things, motivation are given for why we need to sell our souls to to different organizations and different persuasions Lord I pray that you will help us help us guard our hearts Lord against placing our hope in man placing our our trust in man help us Lord God where we've we've adopted more of a political party's views than we've adopted of your kingdom Father that we will repent here today and we will make you supreme in our lives Lord We will allow your ideas to be our governing thoughts that dictate to us how we are to live. Father, I pray above all that we will be good representatives of Jesus Christ to a divided world that wants hope, that needs hope. Father, I pray that you'll use us. Father, I pray that we will be able to lead in this time lead people to your agenda lead people to your outcomes to what you desire to see happen in this world we praise you Father in you there is hope and in you there is a way forward for all people help us as the church Lord God to unite around you and when we do differ that we do so respectfully Lord God that we do so lovingly still know that even if we have to agree to disagree that we can still love each other because Jesus saved us all and no one can boast because of the grace work that we've received salvation through no one is better than the other and we can embrace each other in thankfulness for what you've done for us and commit both to understanding better how you ask of us to live Help us to be humble, Lord, to learn from one another, to see one another's concerns and be compassionate toward it. Help us to see your ideas, Lord, and how the life that they bring can be a blessing to our nation. We thank you for that today in the name of Jesus. Amen.